0: This is Baruch Lurie, and this is the Baruch Lurie Podcast with me. It's my friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Uh, also, of course, a shout-out to our law firm, Lurie & Associates, soon to be Lurie & Seltzer. I'm very proud to say. Uh, 310-478-7788 is our number for your legal needs, particularly in the litigation realm. Uh, we, we focus on business and real estate litigation issues. We do some transactional work as well, but our main thing is, uh, is battle, I guess, And uh, we focus and have a chess-like approach to uh, litigation, which I think is instrumental and absolutely necessary in order to be effective as a lawyer. Um, And it is about chess that we speak today, in a sense. When we talk about ISIS and its um, – taking – you know, one of the wonderful things about chess is when you kind of come upon a chess game in the middle of it. Have you ever done that where you see – uh, a chess game and you want to know hey, what's going on here, who's winning, who's losing uh, what's, what's the likelihood of success here um, and what kind of you know, harrowing game is it sort of thing and you can size up the game within I'd say two minutes, three maybe if you're uh, a novice but within two minutes you kind of figure out exactly what's going on and I ask ourselves what if someone were to size up the chess game that is now happening before our very eyes vis a vis the Islamo fascists and the West. Right? I mean, think of it like a chess game. We and, and whether you like it or not, there is a game going on. It's a war that's going on. But there is a chess game being played out. And if someone were to come by this chess game and see the board, as it were, the big picture of the board you know, put his fingers to his chin and uh, wonder aloud to himself, what's, uh, what's the situation? Who's, who's winning? What, who's got the better position? What do you suppose they'd say? Um, I'd say very plainly, uh, the uh, one side is, is creeping forward and moving and advancing and taking away our pieces very dramatically, and they actually have a strategy. And I'd say the other, other side has no strategy at all, and that we are going to continue losing our pieces and that the pieces we still have on the board remain under threat for being lost in the future. It's not a pretty picture. Who do you think the West is in that scenario, and who do you think the Islamofascists are? It's very easy to tell you. Uh, Unfortunately, the West is going to lose this game if it doesn't completely alter its course. Now, sometimes, by the way, I'm I'm quite a good chess player. doesn't mean that I always win every single game, but I consider myself a really good chess player. And I employ my chess techniques in litigation. Uh, So litigation helps me be a good chess player, and chess helps me be a good litigator. But I can tell you, uh, that a lot of times I will take over a game, and I will say to the other side, even though you have the weaker position, I'll take it over and I'll win the game. I'll beat back the bad guys, or the other side at least. Unless I'm talking, you know, unless you're talking that I'm fighting against Bobby Fischer or or somebody who is equally good as I am. Chances are I can turn the game around. Uh, chances are, and the game. This game, between the West and ISIS slash the Muslim extremists, the Muslim terrorists, the Muslim fascists, uh, this game still could be turned around. There's absolutely no reason why it couldn't be turned around. We do have the better army. We do have the better uh, strategic uh, abilities. We have the objectivity that, that they lack. There's a lot of good tools we have still on the chessboard. But We are, every move, every day that passes, we do get weaker. And they get stronger. For the simple reason that they get more and more emboldened with each victory. Every town that they take over, every airport that they apparently have taken over now, is just another uh, piece that they can claim is theirs. And uh, they, they just move on to the next town, which in turn just has a vicious cycle where we lose more and more people. And we lose and we get more and more frightened with each new video that they post. And we just don't know what to do. So and, and then, of course, to top all of this off is the fact that we have an, a, a commander in chief who doesn't know that he's supposed to be commander in chief. And, and that is the, his primary mission. Look, I started off by saying, let's look at the chessboard, right? If, if you were to come upon this game, so to speak. But once upon a time, there was a beginning of this game. And it wasn't even an even game, right? I mean, when you would play a chess game, you've got the same number of pieces on both sides. Um, everyone's got the same number of queens and bishops and, and rooks and, and knights and so on. But we came into this game with the advantage. We were the ones that had all the F-15s and the tanks and the artillery and the know-how and everything else and the, and the gung-ho attitude about liberty. And yet they keep on taking our pieces to the point that, we're now wondering whether we'll actually beat them back. There's an expression that you've probably heard before. It's, uh, you know, it took him uh, 15 years to become an overnight success, right? You've heard, usually that's in the context of, uh, I don't know, being a singer, uh, a musician, an actor, uh, comedian, director, what have you. And, uh, but it's true in other things too, right? You can... You can be uh you know a great lawyer, and it'll take a long time before you get recognized to be the lawyer that you really are and 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 so on down the line um, suddenly, things just kind of hit for you but it's it's not because you're lucky um yes you, you may be lucky in the sense that things have moved your direction, but you've worked to get into that direction all that time right so um uh, my, my father, my brother, my mother, all of them are good examples of it took X number of years to become the overnight success that they appear to be. But they're not overnight successes. They, they've worked very hard at it. And I'm wondering aloud whether or not you can apply this same phrase in a very negative way. In other words, um, all these horrible evils are out there, right? And they seem to suddenly be there. You know, here we are talking about ISIS, and it's it's there's this urgency that suddenly has found its way into our media. We've got to do something about ISIS. We've got to do something about Syria. We've got to do something about the Muslim world that that's apparently infiltrated in such a way, and we have to watch watch out for perhaps uh, us being beheaded. You know, where that there may be terrorists among us. Not all not all Muslims, of course, but I'm talking about. You know, maybe there are some out there that are just they can't wait to to do it here in America. They're certainly doing it in England, they're doing it in France, they're doing it all over Europe. So soon enough it might happen here. And there's this urgency that's taken on, the kind of, the overnight evil instead of overnight success, right? But in reality, folks, it's taken them 40 years to become the overnight evil that we now see. Stick with that, remember that phrase. Because, folks, this has been a very slow burn. And all of a sudden, we're beginning to, to wake up and say, wow, here's what it, what, what, where it's landed. Here's what's resulted from all this peace of ourselves and being polite and, and saying that uh, Islamo-extremism means nothing. It's, it's only a, a tiny minority of the, of the Muslim population. And we have just as many... Extremists in the Christian and Jewish world, as they have in the Muslim world, and who are we to pick on them, and and so on. But in the meantime, these crazies among the Muslim extremists—well, all the Muslim extremists are crazies, I guess—but these Muslim extremists have gotten larger, more bold, um, and have uh, managed to grow in size. Uh, in a, in a way that is suddenly shocking to us all. But should we be shocked? I mean, it's a little bit like the chess game I just talked about, where I, as the, I wouldn't say chess master, but somebody who's the experienced chess player coming into the room, I see the game and I say, you know, dude, you, you really ought to resign your game. You, you, there's no way you can win this game. And, I, and I'm wondering about looking at the chess board right now, as it is between the West, and the Muslim extremists and, and to ask myself the question, what would I say to the West at this point? What would you say? Right? You'd say, um, you know, dude, you really need to refocus your, your energy here. You need to have a strategy. You, I call it a focal point in chess where you would two, two points converge so that you can actually get a checkmate. Right? And if you don't have that strategy, you ain't going to get a, uh, a checkmate as i famously say in chess a check a checkmate does not create itself okay you need to make the checkmate
1: you don't stumble last backwards into them
0: no it's, <laughs> you don't i mean you could i suppose um, you know where you suddenly find yourself you know in the perfect situation where you just you're moving your pieces all around and suddenly the, the other guy's king is somehow cornered but that's not a good way of doing chess in fact that's a you know you, you may win one out of every 60 games that way by stumbling onto it, but that's that's a very, obviously a very poor strategy. They have a strategy, and we don't. Okay, our strategy, if well, there's no strategy. We only have a hope, and hope is never a strategy. Hope is never a strategy. We just simply hope that they don't really mean it. Um, that they perhaps will somehow. Dissipate by their own extremism, right that the the world will be so shocked by it, or even they themselves will not will not be able to sustain an infrastructure, and that they will collapse internally because of how evil they are right but you could say the same thing about communism right let 's hope that communism just collapses upon itself
1: oh, it really is the leftist strategy for dealing with both situations, which is to hope the enemy. Sees that we've already waved the white flag and just to stop uh, uh, worrying about us attacking them and then they'll just love us. That's right. That's, that's what it is.
0: That's what they would love. It's completely inane. Yeah, they, they want us to, uh, or perhaps uh, they'll simply stop supporting Israel. Maybe that's the, the next step, right? Never mind that that wouldn't do anything, right? But they, they'll do that. That'll be, that's coming next. At some point in the near future, and I, I'm sad to say, I think it's somewhere between five and ten years from now, there will be a growing cacophony against Israel. And the United States will say, look, we're against Israel. We're not as supportive of Israel as we once were. And uh, sure, we don't want you to annihilate Israel, but we do want, uh, you know, look at us. We're putting pressure on Israel. We, we want Israel to give up all the, its land unilaterally.
1: I think that's actually where we started being in the Clinton administration, clearly.
0: Yep, yeah, the the apologists uh, for the uh, the Arab world. Yeah, so around nineteen
1: ninety-three. That's what our the the official actions by the State Department and the Clinton administration have actually been.
0: Right, because of the World Trade Center bombing. I think yeah. that was the beginning moment yeah. uh sure. visa vis America. Uh there's also I mean somebody listening to this will say, Well, wait a minute, you know, things started happening after the Six Day War, and, and they'd be right. But there is another great litmus moment. Uh, Sorry, watershed moment in 1993, and and that was what you were just talking about. Things will continue to change, and they'll be a little bit more aggressively against Israel. Why, you ask? For the same reason that Europe decided to go against Israel. It just turned about within a a period of about five years.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the Six-Day War, because the Six-Day War victory by Israel would have been completely impossible without the actions of France. Giving Israel all those uh, French armaments all those years.
0: Well, I think you're yeah, you're right, but you're thinking particularly about the Suez campaign, um, which was uh, that one too. Yeah. Well, it, Israel Israel used France and England and to their advantage. Yeah. But, le, but let me move on because because this is an important point about because I'm talking about Europe and how they decided to go um, against Israel. And yeah, they,
1: and that's my point. That yeah. Back in those days, Europe, many countries, including France, were on Israel's side, and now where are they? Right.
0: Israel was the darling of Europe, in fact, but something happened along the way, and here's what happened: the the bad guys, the the Arab terrorists, started terrorizing Europe. They started hijacking planes, they started killing innocent people, and they made life miserable and terrifying for a lot of the Europeans. The Europeans, uh, in response, made a um, a deal with uh, with a Faustian choice, and they said, "Look, uh, I I will embrace." your evil ideology so long as you don't attack us anymore. And that was the deal they more or less made. And there was this detente that they reached, Europe and the bad guys. And at the same time, they also made it a very easy calculation. They suddenly said, and, they, and this, they were right, the calculation was, hey, there are a hell of a lot more of those Arabs out there and Muslim extremists than there are Israelis. Or yeah. for that matter Jews And by the way, we don't have to worry about Jews blowing up anything Those Jews, they don't terrorize us So you know, so you know what, we'll take the side of the, the Arabs Yeah, And, and we'll, buy, we'll buy some peace for ourselves And on
1: top of that, the Jews don't have any oil to sell us at bargain basement prices
0: Right, right. that, that, that was definitely an economic decision as well So, so that's, that's when we could say, that's why Israel could say bye bye Europe Right, with very few exceptions, in fact I, I, no real exceptions, Germany oddly enough, a little bit, somewhat of an exception um, because of its own history and, and odd behavior so, uh, well, it's, it's, its history was obviously ugly and they, they have no choice but to be pro-Israel
1: Yeah, you don't mean the Hitler years as odd behavior, you mean their current behavior in support of Israel is odd behavior in relation to the rest of Western Europe That
0: is what I mean, that's correct Thank God I'm here to fix uh, that's that right, yeah. for you. H- you know, it, it, it's, <laughs> tomorrow it's, the
1: headlines. Barack yeah, says Nazism is odd
0: behavior. Odd uh, behavior, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's a, uh, you know, obviously the horrific acts toward the Jews basically meant uh, upon losing the war that that they better be really good with the Jews and Israel. And they have been pretty good with the, with the Jews and Israel. Um, so you don't hear too much anti-Semitism coming out of Germany. And they are very vocally in support of Israel. At the same time, they have to deal with reality. It's, it's a big, big problem for them. And throughout all of Europe, you, you ask them about Israel, they'll, they'll define Israel as the enemy. They're, they're the bad guys, and the Arabs are the, somehow the good guys. Very strange uh, yeah. But this uh, issue phenomenon. you're
1: talking about, this chess board issue, is, is much broader than, than Israel. This is a, 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 war of a chess game or a war of civilizations. And I think the, the, the broader point here is is no matter what pieces each side is armed with on the chessboard, if the player playing those pieces doesn't have the will to win, they won't.
0: Right. They, they don't have the – that's a really good point because no, no analogy is perfect, right? And even a chess analogy is never perfect. As I said before, it, is, it assumes – chess assumes that you have equal pieces, and that you're equally positioned in the beginning of the game.
1: On an equal board. That's I mean, not skew or tilted. Right, right.
0: And, and um, a whole bunch of things are, are at play in chess that are not in play in real life. Um, and here are the, more of the unique differences. Not only have we been asleep at the wheel, in other words, letting the, the bad guys continue their moves. See, in chess, you have one move after the other, right? But in this chess game... They've had three moves for every one of our moves.
1: Yeah, they have the initiative constantly.
0: Constantly moving ahead, and we are constantly reacting as opposed to moving forward ourselves. Now, who knows, Ari, maybe you and I are not privy to all the efforts to undermine um, the uh, you know extremist Islamist world out there. That's possible. It's not likely, but it's possible. I'll tell you who was very good about trying to undermine the extremist Islamist world, and that was a man named Ronald Reagan. His whole, I mean, in addition to fighting the bad guys uh, called the communists, he was also looking to undermine and create friction among the Iraqis and the Iranians and all the Arab world in in, in particular, and he was successful at it. And uh, that's what we needed to do and we have not been doing. Instead, we've it was a delicate balance, to even use Obama's own phrase, it was a delicate balance in the Arab world. And instead, we, we encouraged the radical Muslim Brotherhood to take over in Egypt, for example. Um, we, we led from behind, whatever that means, in Libya, such that Gaddafi, who had been more or less a good boy with uh, America up to then, we fought against him. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, the bad guys have taken over Libya. And it's a really hostile, hostile uh, regime, far more than it ever has been. And the sphere of influence of the extremists are, are slowly closing in uh, on, on Israel.
1: Oh, forget all on that. On America. That's what he did in Egypt. But hold, on, hold, on. Hold, hold
0: on, hold on, hold on, hold on. They are slowly closing in on Israel, on America, on Europe. And not only that, but they are infiltrating within each one of those countries. Less so in Israel, oddly enough. But uh, but in Europe, they're, they're all over. It's it's they are a fact of life, and if we're not careful enough, it'll it'll happen in America too. There is a speech I gave some ten years ago where I spoke about this, and I and I, I don't think it was a great prediction. I simply it was at the University Synagogue here in Brentwood, and um, I think it was about 200 people in attendance, and I spoke on behalf of Jewish National Fund. And they gave me free reign to speak about what to expect in the future. And I said, we've got a serious issue. We will eventually lose our entire way of being. The the eight kids per Palestinian woman, and not much less among Arab women, uh, is a demographic time bomb. We in in the West, by contrast, have 2.1 kids, 2.2 kids per couple. Um, which is, of course, hardly enough to, to match. And in Europe, it's even less. So it's, you don't have to think in terms of many generations. You just have to think in terms of one generation and ask yourself, what's going to be the future? And, and, the, and, and to amplify this problem, I, I noted, the immigration into these countries is enormous. And to amplify even further into the problem was that the emigration of Native Europeans... Christians, those who identify themselves as a European, you know, an, an indigenous European, if you like, they're leaving in droves themselves. So it's it's all amplifying the problem, a, a, a an enormous population explosion among the extremists in Europe itself, a, 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 on top of an increasing immigration in Europe to Europe, and an exodus of you know white Europeans as you know regular Europeans just leaving. Who's going to be left?
1: Yeah, and then on top of it, maybe you mentioned in your speech, maybe you didn't, but essentially the nomenclatura, the upper class elitists of both European and American society become educated in a marinated leftism where the top of the top of the top people in both civilizations are those who have the most to lose and are willing to do the least to protect their societies.
0: Right. That's right. That's, that's well said. It, it, it's, uh, it's just, you know, I, I can only think of Rome at the end of its uh, days. It, it just, you know, the descent of Rome was so quick toward the end and quick doesn't mean one year; it can mean decades. But that—that's relatively fast. So over a
1: thousand year, almost a thousand reign Yes, yeah. that is quick.
0: That's very quick. A
1: few decades at the end. Quick, yeah, Boom.
0: And and people were warning about it, and they said, "Look, you know, we have—we're not fighting for our own survival. And what do you expect?" And so they fought, as I said before, for against these just nothings, uh, known as the, the the Vandals and the Huns and the Visigoths and. And so on down the line. These are just barbarians that they were fighting. And those barbarians won. They just stripped Rome bare at the end of the day. And everyone just kind of left.
1: They lost their will to defend themselves. That's what they it lost was. their will to put forth this thing. That you, what they did is they grew complacent and started to think that everything mm-hmm. they built was normal and would last forever.
0: Right. And this leads me to the next point about the chess thing. And you kind of brought it up. You kind of implied to it, Ari. Which is that in chess, you know, you have to have a strategy like we talked about. But you know what? You also have to kind of want to win. <laughs> you want, you have to want to win. If you just are in there, you know, kind of distracted all the time, watching, you know, playing your iPad <laughs> or looking for your, the latest on your emails or watching the game that happens to be on above your head. Um, and the other party, the other player is very intent on winning the game and they're constantly looking at the pieces constantly looking at the board
1: obsessed with winning
0: obsessed with winning saying i've got to win and, and uh, you're going to lose that game right and on top of that the 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 bad guy is also cheating at the same time he's Violating all the rules, so that the the bishop is not quite following the diagonal lines that he's supposed to, or, yeah, or the, all
1: the pieces are moving in ways that aren't set forth by the yeah the common agreed to rules of engagement. Right,
0: and you and you say to to him, "Hey, I, I don't think you're supposed to move that way." And then his response to you is, "Well, that's racist." Right. <laughs> what you said, I yeah, you know, the
1: queen is in disguise as a different uh, uh, player, so you don't know where the queen is or right.
0: Right, and then, they, and then they're insisting that, that we should give up some of our pieces to become some of their pieces. It, it's just the, the, the analogies to chess, just to make it clear, to show how ridiculous it would be if this were an actual chess game. That's the way that chess game would play out. Yeah. And there are many more pieces, of course, in, in the real-life chess game that we're playing. But it, it ain't pretty, folks. See, Unless we, we make a very calculated decision to actually, A, have a strategy... B, focus on the friggin' game, and C, um, be willing to have bloodshed. And we, we ain't going to win this game.
1: Yeah, and then there's another piece of this in the real game. Uh, it came out in the news today. The State Department has announced that Americans who go over to the the Levant region to fight on behalf of ISIS. Levant. W-
0: w- there it is, and that you, phrase. You know
1: I'm using that on purpose I here. know, yeah. Uh, are not going to be stripped of their citizenship or passports, or be barred from re-entering the country. So, even if you're a U.S. citizen and you go there and you murder, let's just say you behead some American journalist, right, on a YouTube video. Remember those those YouTube videos? Yeah, yeah, the that British guys cause especially. all the kerfluffles, right? Kerfluffle. You can just come back here and oh, he's an American. Oh, go back to college. It's okay. Yeah, it was a, it was a career. Uh, you know, they, but, but, wait, they wait, used wait, let, to wait. go to Europe for a little while before college. Now they go to Syria and, right, and, and come on back. Yeah, it's, it's fine.
0: Well, like like one guy said, this is better than Disneyland. He said, right as he was maiming people, it was incredible. But but let me but let me ask you this because it, it's almost it's so hard to believe. I mean, I, all this stuff is crazy to believe in the first place. Of course, that people would go out there and and willy nilly just kill random people, uh, random children. I it just I can't. Wrap my mind around that But that's another story One thing I can't understand is And I almost don't believe That that our government and the British government Would say Well, if if we do find out That you fought for ISIS You're still going to be able to come back Why would our government say that?
1: Well, that's the point you're making That's the player in charge Of one of these chess armies Who's not playing to win Yeah, I guess so. not playing with any concern or –
0: But what what advantages – I mean, it seems so easy to just say, no, you're not coming in. That's not a hard decision. Uh, It's not as if, you know, we we think that these people might be productive members of society if they come back. Yeah, sure, you you went on your little jaunt there to to kill a bunch of people randomly in some place called Syria and Iraq. But, you know, we do need you because, you know, after all, we have a labor shortage here. I mean, I, I don't understand the logic behind that. But, but there it is. If it's actually happening, and I, I need to check that already because that's craziness. It came
1: out today or yesterday.
0: Okay. Uh, so, so, so then think about the signal of that sense. Okay? Yes. It's, it's bad enough that you're letting these bad guys who committed these atrocities in, in Syria and Iraq to come back uh, who obviously have vicious propensities. But think about the signal that you're sending to everyone else.
1: You're saying, go ahead. You want to go, go. You go ahead and you. Right
0: are welcome on back. You know, obviously, yeah. if you die, just you find, die. find
1: a nice ticket on Orbitz and don't pay full, <laughs> full fares. You'll be fine. Well,
0: I I prefer kayak Thank price you. Line. I don't on one of those. <laughs> I, but but I, I I'm with you. I, I just I just you're. I mean, in the it's mind boggling. It's, it's mind boggling. It's like that mind boggling situation we now have, which no one's discussing anymore, but, but it's still happening with all those these kids that are still crossing over the border, uh, who are. Teenagers, if at the oldest, uh, you know, nine-year-old kids crossing the border on their own, uh, and we wonder why. Well, the reason why is because we sent the signal to uh, the parents out there that somehow we will give immunity to any child or amnesty to any child, um, or as opposed to an adult who crosses the border. Right or wrong, that was their interpretation, and voila! Here is this these hordes of, of hundreds of thousands of, of children that we yeah. will eventually have. And so in the same way that we have that signal sent, we're sending the signal to, to all the monsters, all the crazies here in America. You know, the one thing we could we could hold them back on is to say, yeah, you might be extremists, but dude, if you go out there, you know, plan on never coming back.
1: But don't even tell them. Let them go. It cleanses our society of psychopaths. Right. It's a. It's like a Bon Ami getting rid of psychopaths. Yeah, we, we, You went. You're not coming back. Okay. You didn't tell me. Did I have to tell you?
0: I, I'm officially. This is, right? this is. This is so bizarre. I feel like I'm missing something. Some I'm important piece of information, and uh, this is. I, I've heard this rumor. I've read about this too. Uh, I, I I just need to confirm this. Well, because, let me
1: confirm it for you. Ted okay. Cruz today on the Senate floor proposed a law that strips people of their citizenship if they do this meaning it's not law it needs to pass for that to happen yeah. because right now it's only up to state department discretion meaning it's policy that confirms it check yeah. your twitter it's i
0: i i agree okay ted cruz that's fine about I four di- hours ago yeah i know i you know i know about that about ted cruz so that's a good point but uh, anybody that has any sort of uh, qualms about that, I, I just don't know why you would have any qualms about it. But you know what? We live in a crazy time, all right? We, we live in a time where where people are uh, accuse you of being a voter suppressionist if you do not uh, if you demand somebody to present a, a voter ID, right? a, d- a driver's license when they vote. That to me is crazy. To, to believe that that is voter suppression,
1: and no one says it's racist against uh, or uh, against U.S. citizens for us to show that same identification if we want to fly on an airplane.
0: Right, right, exactly, right. right. But but there's so many other crazy things that are going on. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking this is crazy. What we're just talking about about you know allowing them to come back despite knowing that they've engaged in this on these in these horrors in Iraq and in Syria for the bad guys who want to destroy our country. That that, that's one thing, and then um, all all the other craziness that we have, where we're refusing to allow our state governments to actually patrol the border and just enforce federal law, to to do what the federal government is refusing to do, that is somehow bizarre. Uh, Other bizarre things are how the uh, the attorney general refuses to enforce. Uh, general law when it comes to the, the Defense of Marriage Act, for example,
1: yeah. or driver's licenses by each state for illegal aliens. Right, but that, but you see where all of these things have in common is critical theory. It's all designed to make every one of their in their the micro example of their situation a completely unworkable, chaotic situation. Every one of these right. is governed by that.
0: Right, you, you know, and and that's really ultimately where we're getting to, I think. Um, I'll give you the the visual of uh, these Muslim extremists who apparently took over various intersections in New York City. I think it was Madison and something. And they just stopped all traffic, it was very busy, and they were chanting uh, pro-Islamist statements and such, and maybe anti-Israel statements, but mostly pro-Islamist statements. And and there they go with these, uh, they managed to block everything in traffic. And they create chaos, That's and right. and one thing that we cannot handle is chaos. We need some sort of um, sense of order in our lives that we can get up, and uh, we'll get uh, attention from um, you know our, our spouses. We'll get we'll get uh, we'll get our paycheck. We'll be able to go see the movies. Uh, we'll be able to drive to our favorite hotel, favorite restaurant, and such like that. But once you once there's a threat that that order and structure and that that consistency is at risk, is under a threat, that's when you can really force people to do whatever you want from them. And so when you see uh, literally hundreds of people just blocking, uh, as you said with the bicycles, I remember, you know, critical mass critical mass in an intersection. And now they're learning this process. When you see that as a driver, and, and it really pisses you off, because after all, you need to get somewhere in time. And then you just say, okay, well, you know what? Let's, whatever we can to just avoid this madness. I, I'm just tired of, of them blocking the traffic. Whatever. You know, if that means we have to, to abandon Israel, well, let's just abandon Israel. I mean, do we really need to deal with this little, little, little country? What good has Israel done yeah, for and us? And there's
1: the trust move that you, you just said. it. Because yeah. chess, the, the way the analogy works perfectly, is because chess is a game of pressure. Right. And you put pressure in one area... And you have to respond if you can't defend against the pressure in one area by putting pressure on another vulnerable area of your opponent. And you hope the pressure either goes your way or at least forms a stalemate kind of equilibrium so that other portions of the game can go on while these areas of of, uh, equalizing pressure work themselves out. So when they bring... The pressure of chaos to our society People then make foolish decisions On foreign policy or world events
0: Right, they get into a panic mode and, Kind of
1: like an oil embargo During um, uh, the 1970s When America was
0: Right, we, we, we all panicked war. then And we're all panicking now and, and, and here's where I want to kind of go with this It's, it's like we, we are We're getting to that point that, that fulcrum moment like we said before Where suddenly We feel surrounded we're panicking and we're panicking with a, a president who has no idea what he needs to do i mean it's it's the perfect from the from the standpoint of ISIS and the muslim extremists it's it's a perfect storm right they've managed to gain this critical mass and to adopt ideology that now has slowly entrenched itself into our society and now we also have this incredibly weak president who doesn't understand, at best doesn't understand the evil that surrounds him and uh, at worst actually maybe enabling the evil that surrounds us. That's that's where I'm really terrified because once we get into panic mode, all hope is lost because you cannot possibly win that chess game with panic in, in uh, operating as your main thing. But I still don't think it's too late, folks. I think that at some point Uh, We're going to have to recognize The evil that Islamofascism is We're going to have to start Abandoning this crap That somehow Islamofascism Is a justifiable religion Uh, At some point you squander Your rights as a religion to to hide. I think at some point you squander your rights To hide behind the the, the trappings Of religion When you use that religion as a sword Literally as a sword And that's what they're doing
1: Yeah it's like a Jeff Foxworthy joke You know you might be a Whatever when whatever You might be a cult When you start commanding your members to kill people
0: Yeah, right? that's right
1: And cults don't get First Amendment protections Religions do yeah. Religions are benevolent Cults aren't
0: Yeah, and that's where it may have to be We might, we might actually have to get to a point, Ari Where you know, this may come to such a head At one point you know, The famous expression is that the Constitution Is not a suicide pact I don't know which Chief Justice said that, but certainly he's right about it. Uh, it might have been Holmes, I think it was, well, it doesn't matter. The, the Constitution is not a suicide pact, and it may get to the point, and I, I may actually predict this, that within 10 years, we're going to have to make a hard decision as to whether or not to grant Islam religious status in the same way that we give Christianity and Judaism religious status. I'm not advocating that, by the way. Yeah,
1: just so you know, I am.
0: <laughs> I'm not, not advocating totally that. Yeah, Ari and I differ on this issue. I, I I still believe that Islam is a is a valid religion and that it could be uh, pursued moderately and such. And that's maybe, why Ari or not. Right. But. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that department. Maybe I'm um, misguided in that way. But regardless of my opinion, I think we'll get to the point where we're going to have a serious discussion as to whether or not we should entertain Islam as a religion in the same way that we entertain any other faith as religion. Because certainly we would agree that if um, the American Nazi Party decided to call itself a religious party simply because they decided to vote for, uh, sorry, to, to pray to a, a, a German god called, uh, or Swedish god, whatever, Valhalla, okay, or they create a new god for that matter, we would say, okay, nice try, but that, that ain't no religion, Right. And we, we would say you're not going to get the benefit of, of religious status whatsoever. Uh, you, you don't get to get a 501c3 status, all those things. And you can't say that you're practicing your religion when you go ahead and, and start killing people or incinerating them in, in ovens. That's, that ain't,
1: yeah, well, that's even, obvious, even right? Well, even to simplify it, Jonestown. Remember, Jim Jones called it the yeah. People's Church. I, I, Just because the church in the name did not make it a church.
0: There you church. go. That's right. So we're going to have that discussion soon enough. In in five to ten, I would say more closer to ten years. There's going to be a serious discussion as to whether or not uh, is Islam is should should benefit from its demands because it'll get more demanding in the future. It, they'll they'll start saying, well, we should have the right to have Sharia law here because by golly, we're. We're trying to exercise our religious freedoms, and Sharia law is, is meaningful to us. Yeah, these
1: and we districts should, and cities will be no-go zones because you must keep the gender separated. It's Sharia law.
0: That's right. And this is where we are, and we don't like your religion. And why is your religion entitled to—you know, you don't realize it, uh, Mr. Christian, but um, when you demand to be able to walk in the streets with just your bikini top on, uh, a woman, no, of course, Christian. yeah Mrs. Christian, uh, or uh, for that matter, to, to show your bare chest uh, as a man uh, that that is insulting our religion and it 's completely in violation of our religion, and we demand that you don 't do that and and the only way that that can work is if you impose Sharia law in this area, and that 's how we think we can have an accommodation, and then there 'll be an appeasement that goes in that process right, and then at some point we 're going to have enough. We're, you know, Americans are good about this. Well,
1: sooner or later, a Martin Luther King type will come up and fight this new form of Jim Crow, which is what Sharia is. Yeah, we need a leader. You know, we... separate but equal, different uh, uh, buses, uh, different lunch counters, different drinking fountains. You can just imagine. But let me of let me get yeah, let
0: me get to my, my main point on that on this one issue, which is that the Europeans, they don't have that st- that kind of stomach. They don't have that stamina. They don't have the backbone. Balls. All right. <laughs> All right. this is a family hour here. Um, they don't have the backbone to, to move forward with that. They, you know, it's, it's we Americans. you get this sense that there's this rugged individualism that I think that we still have that will enable us to simply say, "You know what? Someone's got to speak up, and some guy who's going to be brave enough to get up in front of that podium and say, "This ain't right, and you're full of crap. I'm, I'm not going to let my children live a life." Where they have to be terrified about this other religion, and if we and if they don't, uh, you know, one day they, if they don't convert or die, sort of situation. That's, that's what we're looking at. Why why would ISIS behave any differently in America than they're behaving to their own people, their own fellow Muslims in Iraq and Syria? At least, in, that's in a Ara-
1: brilliant point, right? Exactly.
0: So exactly, we can't expect anything more, uh, any better behavior from that. Well, like I said, folks, uh, you know, as we're wrapping this up, remember, it took forty years to create this overnight evil that we appear to be seeing today. But it was not overnight, right? It was forty years, and it was a slow burn. And they have slowly entrenched themselves and gotten us to to kind of be to to tiptoe around our own language, such that we can't even be forceful about who we are to be proud of who we are, uh, and to fight for God in the way that we need to. We are the fulcrum moment, folks, and that's not a place where we want to be. We shouldn't have been gotten here, but now, now we still have the opportunity. So let's fight. Let's stand up. Let's have some backbone. This is Brock This has been the Brock Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.